you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Pro Bowl voting is here, and awesome Pro Bowl starts with awesome players, and your vote helps decide who gets a spot on the AFC and NFC rosters. Show your love, cast your vote, and make sure your favorite players make it to the 2020 Pro Bowl. Vote today and be entered to win exclusive prizes at NFL.com slash Pro Bowl vote. And now, Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. Oh, let's get it going. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Move the Sticks. Rhett Lewis here in studio with Bucky Brooks. DJ is on his way back from Mexico City as he was uh, doing the color on the Chargers radio broadcast last night in a game that they had to have but did not get it. Came into the game four and six. They leave four and seven, falling 24-17 in a dramatic one at the end with a chance to go in and tie it, Bucky. And then Phillip Rivers throws his seventh interception in the last two weeks to seal it for the Chiefs. Ouch. <laughs> Ouch. Ouch. Such a tough, uh, such a tough, tough loss for the LA Chargers because this is a team that they have everything on paper that you want. I mean, they are terrific when it comes to their defensive personnel. You look at their offensive personnel, the skill positions. They have two big-time receivers. They have a running back in Melvin Gordon, another one in Austin Eckler. They have a quarterback that's a veteran quarterback that is well-established. has uh, been considered an elite quarterback for years. The only question, I guess, maybe their offensive line, but this is a team that should not be a 4-7 and seven team. You talk about yeah. having high hopes for a team, a team that was viewed as a Super Bowl contender. For them to fall the 4-7, and seven, the way in which they fell the 4-7, and seven, uh, I think it's troubling. I think it's disturbing just the way that they play, particularly at the quarterback position. Phillip Rivers is a veteran. You don't expect him to turn it over uh, to the degree that he has. Yeah. But I think it's, it's another thing, and we talked about this on Path to the Draft. Mm-hmm. At some point for the Chargers, when are they or when were they going to get the next quarterback? Yeah, it hasn't happened yet, right? It it hasn't. And so, you know, you you kind of feel bad because for all of the incoming that Eli Manning took, you probably could have issued it in Phillip Rivers' direction as well the last couple years because, look, three years ago he had a solid season, but, like, the last couple years he hasn't been um, great when it comes to turnover uh, the turnover ratio, giving well, the ball a, to yeah. the other team, like it's, all of those things. Like it, it's kind of been, I guess it's calling card, but this this is a huge issue. So now the Chargers could be stuck um, in a situation where they have to go and get their franchise quarterback. And it's like going to the grocery store. You never want to go to the grocery store when you're hungry right. because you make bad decisions. So now how are the Chargers able to make a decision about the franchise quarterback <laughs> when their current quarterback is playing poorly? And they know need to go and get one in the draft. Uh, it's a great that's a great analogy because I can remember it brought me immediately back to sophomore year in college, <laughs> first year outside of the dorms, and first year in a house with my roommates. Who go to the grocery store, you know, mm-hmm. wait for the check to come in. Go to the grocery store, yeah, get everything that we felt like we needed. Fill up the carts and come home. And be like. Oh, I don't want to cook anything or, <laughs> yeah. or a pizza. Yeah. Right? So you can't be stuck ordering a pizza right? yes. for the Chargers. Yes. Is what we're saying. Um, but 
that's that that could be the situation that they find themselves in. However, if this season keeps going the way it has been right now, they might be in a position to draft one of these top four, five quarterbacks this year. Uh, right now, they're a top 20 pick. They're going to be a top 15 pick, it looks like, at this point. You know, so so it, it, it's funny because it kind of springboard us into yeah. the conversation about the 2020 quarterback class. Um, if the Chargers are in the middle of the pack, we've talked about, how many guys we potentially viewed as first-round quarterbacks. And now this would be skewed a little later because what happens is when you're desperate, we have a tendency to push these quarterbacks up the board. Sure. So let's go prior to Tua's injury. Yep. We had Tua that was going to be in there. Uh, Joe Burrow, Burrow was Justin in the Herbert. conversation. Uh, Justin Herbert, uh, Jake Fromm, uh, Jacob Eason. So those are the five that we knew that we were saying, okay, those guys are in the conversation as first-round quarterbacks. Then you had the guys that are just outside of that, Jalen Hurts. Yeah. Um, is there anybody else that we can think about being in there? I think Jalen Hurts is the main one. Um, there yeah, has been the- some conversation because for a while, the, the guy that was included in that first-round tier was Jordan Love from Utah State. Yeah, uh, The bloom has come off their rose a little bit. A little bit. Um, there's not as much conversation. But let's just say right outside of that, you have Jordan Love and, J- and Jalen Hurts. So that's seven. So you have seven guys that to be in the conversation either above the line or at the line in terms of first round talents. Yeah. When you're the LA Chargers and you're sitting in the middle of the first round potentially, you have to determine, okay, which guys are legitimate first round talents? Which guys have been a little inflated and would be pushed up just because teams will talk themselves into, hey, well, if I'm going to take a quarterback at the top of the second round, I might as well take him in the first round because of the extra year, uh, the bonus year on the rookie contract. The Chargers have to make a decision that is, well, how do we view our offense going forward? Is Anthony Lynn our long-term answer and solution at the head coaching position? Because now you have a, a, a decision where Anthony Lynn will have to make a decision on which quarterback does he want for the future and what does that look like for him? If you go back on his past in Buffalo, obviously Tyrod Taylor was his starting quarterback when he took over as offensive coordinator. Does he want someone that is a little more mobile, someone that can give him the the benefit of not only being able to throw it but to give them extra yards in the running game? Or is he a guy that is comfortable with a traditional passer? Because when we're looking at that, let's just say with two injuries, let's throw him out. Let's say Joe Burrow goes – Let's say Justin Herbert goes shortly thereafter. Now we're talking about a situation potentially where you have Jake Fromm. Right. You have Jacob Eason. Right. And who else did we say was the, the fifth guy that we threw in there? Uh, Jordan Love. Uh, oh, that's right, two. So we took two out. out. So now you're yeah. talking about those two guys, Jake Fromm and Jacob Eason. Which one of those guys fits the mold of what you view as the L.A. Chargers quarterback? Right. Or does that now push – Jalen and Jordan Love into the conversation because they have the added um, aspect of being able to run and throw and do all this other stuff. It yeah. makes it a very interesting debate. And we always talked about in draft rooms, there, there are no two rooms where the order is the same. But this year, more than any other year, it could be wild. It could be wild. Because wide the wild open. card yeah. is Tua Tungvaloa. Uh, Tua and then Jalen Hurts will be a little bit of a wild card as well. And I think when it's all said and done, we'll get Nate Stanley in that first so that's round from Iowa. Yeah, well. because, because look, he, he's been a very solid 
and productive yeah. quarterback. And I know some people say, man, when I look at Iowa tape, it's kind of sleepy because they play throwback football. <laughs> it looks like late 70s and right. 80s ball. I, I watched them play the other night for, what is that, the pig? The, the pig against Minnesota? Yes. They're playing like for the, the, the big the big pig. <laughs> right. There's so many trophies that y'all exchange in the Big it Ten. Is. I can't keep up with, special with all of the things. So they're, they're giving out a big golden pig at the end of the game. And I'm watching the game, and you talk about multiple tight ends playing, two tight ends, one wide receiver. The bronze pig, baby. The bronze pig. Yeah. The bronze pig. They're playing for the bronze pig. It was a big deal, evidently. Like, Iowa always owns Floyd of Rosedale. Floyd. That's it. it. Floyd. Floyd. They're playing for big old Floyd. Yeah. And so, Nate Stanley has been solid. And so, where do you view him? It, the draft is going to be fascinating because the quarterback discussion is going to make it lively. So, on path to draft, we have plenty of things to yes, talk we about do. with the quarterback. Yes, we do. Skill guys, a plenty. Yeah. We have plenty of wide receivers and pass catchers, running backs that are being the draft. So for us, it's gonna be great TV because we have a lot of guys to talk about. It won't just be the big guys. And I know yeah. people don't like, but we have skill, skill, skill. Well, and one days. of the big guys may not end up going in the first round. Talking about Tua, and that's yep. that's that's kind of the point of discussion uh, next. And just uh, to leave the Chiefs situation, Chiefs Chargers game. Look, Chiefs get the win. They needed it badly. But they lose Damian Williams and Tyreek Hill early in the game. Very early. And still managed to come out with a win. It wasn't the best performance that we've seen from Patrick Mahomes in this Chiefs offense, but they're in the driver's seat right now. Uh, but the Raiders are hot on their Raider, heels in the division. Raiders are coming. This yeah. bye week for the Chiefs comes at the right time. Yeah, they need to get uh, healthy. If you, anyone who looks at Andy Reid's record after the bye, I mean, he is it, it, tremendously successful getting his team ready after the bye. And what's funny, this is a personal story. So Andy Reid, typically, the way they handle their bye week, get out the building. Uh, they normally don't practice at all during their bye week. They come back the next week and they do it. So he he is a believer in giving his guys all the time. Shut off. it down. Well, that Recharge, comes from yeah. in 1997 when I was with the Green Bay Packers. Um, Mike Holmgren, we had just come back. I mean, we go to Foxborough and we get whooped by the Patriots yeah. on the road. We come back, we have a bye. Mike tells everyone, get out the building. Go. Leave for a week. So if you can imagine the 90s, that was unprecedented. Yeah. So we come back, we go on a run. Uh, ultimately, that team ends up in the Super Bowl. Right. And from that point, Andy Reid adopted that thing. But that was a Mike Holmgren. Really? We started. Yeah, we, we got out the building. We were gone for the entire week. Like when you come back Monday, get on the plane, go. We'll see you next Sunday. Sunday night. Sunday whatever. night. Yeah. That's when everyone came back. And then we had to run it. And so it was it was nice to kind of be able to kind of decompress, get away from it, come back and recharge. That is something that Andy huh. just continue to do. That's interesting. They could use a little rest at this they point. Need, and I think the other thing, like um, we realize this, obviously, you know, from your dad and your dad working with players that are injured. I think sometimes we forget how injuries affect the performance of a player. Oh, yeah. Pat Mahomes had a dislocated kneecap. Yeah. And so when people are like, man, he looks rusty. Yes, yeah. he has a dislocated yeah. kneecap. Like, that is not a common injury it's to like try and play 30 days away from that, you know? <laughs> right? Yeah. And so um, it's unbelievable that he's been able to play, and he will be a guy that we would like to think that he gets better and better down the stretch, provided he doesn't take another shot on that knee. Yeah. But he's he not going to He had the ankle he was dealing with, too, right? Everything. Yeah. Like, yeah. It, it all comes in droves. And so, yeah, trying to get him to overcome that would be interesting. Yeah, especially now as they got their offensive line, it's kind of started it getting back healthy a little bit. Um, so they'll definitely utilize this bye week, but uh, it, it'll be interesting at the top of that division. Now the Raiders are not to be messed around with uh, at this point. That's a team that can win some football games down the stretch. Uh, all right. So that's a look at uh, Monday night football. You got us into the, 
the draft and the quarterback situation, which will be headlined this year by an injury, by a guy who was has been in conversation to be a number one overall pick since he came in in the second half of the national championship game a couple of years ago and led Alabama to a victory to a Tungo Vailoa suffered a hip dislocation this past week in a win over Mississippi State. Yes. Uh, and then had surgery a, a day or two later. He is expected to make a full recovery. Uh, at least that's what they're saying now. But, you know, hips can be a tricky situation. It's not just like, a, you know, a, a, it's not like breaking an ankle or a sprained ankle. Or this is this is a serious injury, and it's one that will follow him now to a decision point that he has. We all assumed he was coming out in the draft mm-hmm. this year as he was going to be in the conversation for the number one overall pick. But now what do you do? You have an injury. You've had ankle injuries that have required surgery to the last two years. Uh-huh. If you're Tua Tungo-Vailoa, are you saying, okay, I was going to be a potential number one overall pick, more than likely not going to happen now mm-hmm. with an injury. Do I come back and prove that I'm healthy? Because you know that when healthy, he's the best, one of the best quarterbacks in the yep. country and will be in that conversation again. Or do I say, hey, you know, I've been injured. I don't want to risk that happening again. Let's go into the draft now this year and, you know, get what we can get, hope for the best, and, you know, maybe end up being a late first, early second. This is a this is an interesting one because this is a tough one um, because it's funny. I had all those things written down yeah. prior to you talking, but durability is now a major concern for him. You think about it, two ankles, two ankle surgeries, knee injury, then you have a hip injury. Yeah, That's a lot of injuries for a guy who is really a three-year player. He's only been a starter for – I guess we can add it up to maybe two years, two years, years, almost two years. Um, We haven't even seen his game really mature on the field. And so the questions that you have, what are you really getting when you take on Tua as a top draft pick? Like we've seen flashes, but we haven't seen a consistent stretch of play where he's played at a high level without the injuries and the other stuff. So. What are you really getting? And we had the stretch last year, right, where he, I don't know what, played the first three quarters of a game. He hadn't, didn't play in the fourth quarter of a game basically so, all season. Yeah, he know? really hasn't yeah. played a lot. So he's yeah. he's still a, a very inexperienced player. And, I, and I'm going to say this, and I'm going to tie this in to the Mitchell Trubisky um, evaluation. Mitchell Trubisky, coming out of North Carolina, only had 13 career starts. Um, I don't have the information in front of me. Yeah. But I do wonder, how many starts does Tua have in his collegiate career, like where we can say legitimate starts. We talked about where he had that run last year where he was only playing three quarters of games, two quarters of games. So how many reps does he really, really have as a as a franchise quarterback? And so I just think yeah. it's going to be a, a, a tough deal um, to check out. Yeah. You know, uh, and, and see and determine. But that said, his talent, his leadership ability um, – what he could bring as a top quarterback, um, teams at the bottom of the first round, they won't miss it that. Because if you have a quarterback who maybe is two years from it being the end, right? why not take him at the bottom of the first, let him get healthy, let him do all those things, let him learn the game, and maybe you have come up. I think worst case scenario, bottom of the first round is where he falls. I don't think he falls all the way out the draft unless – the prognosis on his hip injury is more severe 
than we thought. And by all accounts right now, it was a clean surgery, and the prognosis is very good for a full recovery, which would be phenomenal um, for Tua Tungavailoa at this point. Now, when you say back end of the first round, that does not necessarily mean a team that is playing in the Super Bowl. That could be a team like the Baltimore Ravens, who two years ago traded in to the final pick of the first round and made Lamar Jackson the fifth quarterback to go in the first round, which has clearly proven to be a phenomenal move by uh, Ozzie Newsome in his last year as the GM there. Um, Truly has left his mark on that franchise with that draft. So, you know, is there a team in that in that vein that could do that? Is it, you know, let's say Cincinnati ends up getting the first overall pick. Mm. They end up taking Chase Young if that ends mm-hmm. up happening, if that ends up being, you know, what he decides to do. And then you come back, trade back into the bottom of the first round, and you try to get How about a that? That's a nice, that's a nice move. You uh, like that. I like that haul. If we could do that, if we were doing uh, what we normally do on now, path to the draft, now, what we're doing the ideal thing, right, we're right. pulling the things around. Like to have Tua as a, I don't know, bottom of the first round pick, that, w- yeah. that would be great. Or how about this? I mean, like the quarterback is playing really well right now. Right. But let's just say your team, like the Oakland Raiders, who has, you have a ton of picks at your disposal and you have a few first round picks at your disposal. Why not draft someone early and just say, oh, okay, boom, we'll just take Tua right here franchise quarterback and we just have him because we know like uh we talked about mike mayock and the football care you know his football character is outstanding sure we know he has talent we know that he's a natural fit in john gruden's offense maybe with the raiders having a surplus of picks that could be the move that move could also hold true for maybe a team like the miami dolphins like we've always assumed that hey they have to get their quarterback at the top Top of of first right but when you have so many picks like they have, maybe you can maneuver around and just get the best player available at the top if they're up there. So it's an interesting conversation. And as I'm looking at the draft order, I'm also seeing a team. Who's a team right now that is a Super Bowl, I don't even say contender, but a Super Bowl favorite in the NFC mm. that's going to be all the way down at the bottom of the first round that has a 40-year-old quarterback? Oh, talking about the New England Saints? I didn't want to say that, but that that's that's another one. I mean... He's right there. At 28, at 29, at 30, 31. There's um, another one that you that you could bring in. Yeah. That you could, that you could bring in or whatever. Our Packers. Nabil obviously Nabil chiming in saying give Green me Bay some. Packers. Yeah, like, look, I think you still got a good six, seven years on Aaron Rodgers. Um, yeah, but but no, you're right. The New Orleans, the New Orleans Saints. And let's, let's think about this because people haven't talked about, like, but the New Orleans Saints potentially could do something that most teams haven't been able to do. They could actually stockpile their quarterback room. So envision this. Drew Brees, they have Teddy Bridgewater, continue to keep Teddy Bridgewater. Bring now, will he do that right now? He did it this last time, right? No, but I'm, I'm saying like, so so we know the day, the day is nearing yeah. the end of the Drew Brees thing. Right. And so Teddy Bridgewater has played well enough, and I think he has a sense that, like, this is a nice spot for me in New Orleans. Came in, was 5-0. and No question. Time. Like, maybe he's like, look. Maybe I can just kind of stay here and play in the system. But in terms of the perfect, the perfect developmental room to be able to have a Teddy Bridgewater, then a Tua sitting behind him to grow and develop. I'm just saying, like, I know maybe it's uneasy in their quarterback room because you have a young guy that's chomping to play in Tua. Well, especially, though, if you're if you're of the mindset that, look, this injury might take a year. You know, then that's something that really makes sense because you don't have to worry about that. If you're already coming into it saying, look, he's not going to play. We're going to make sure he's 100% healthy. 
then some of that animosity, some of that anxiety. So isn't some of that, there but as much, but, but right? and and when we think about the the right developmental plan, and I won't say the right because there are different ways. To do it. Some guys have had success playing their young quarterback right away, but if you follow the Pat Mahomes deal, if you go all the way back to like when the San Francisco 49ers had Joe Montana and Steve Young, um, in yesteryear, what you would do is you would have multiple good quarterbacks yeah. waiting, and they would develop and they would be ready for their time. The New Orleans Saints could be a team that would be ripe for that opportunity because Drew Brees would be on a one-to-year, one, one a year-to-year deal. Then you yeah. have Teddy Bridgewater possibly on a short-term deal with a young quarterback in the hopper. So, this is this is interesting. Um, you know, Teddy Bridgewater came back to the Saints this year. He was going to be an unrestricted free agent. He, and he was had an opportunity to go there with the Dolphins, decided to stay with the Saints. He'll be an unrestricted free agent again this year. As a thirty-year-old with some good tape now, as a as yeah, a with some good tape, and I, I think will I think, he do that again? Will he decide to come back to? The I, same and I, again? I think I think for Teddy, like Teddy, yeah. just has to look around and see, like man, the quickest way to end the quarterback career is to go to a bad spot where you don't have the support, be it uh, the coaching staff or the supporting cast around him. He knows in New Orleans, he has everything, and one thing that we we can never question about Sean Payton, man, Sean Payton can come up with an offensive yeah. scheme to really elevate the guy that is the trigger man. And so it's interesting, yeah. but options, options aplenty for the New Orleans Saints. And, and, you know, just to tie it back into where we started the episode uh, with the Chargers, you know, there's also that model where you take, I mentioned it with the Bengals, you take a transcendent talent that's not a quarterback early like they did with LaDainian Tomlinson. Yes. And then and come back in the second round and get a Drew Brees. Or yes. you come back in the second round and figure out the quarterback that you want there. There's there's that idea of it too. We just don't see that that often, you know, anymore. You know, if like you need a quarterback, you're going to get one of the top, you know, three, four quarterbacks and it's happening in the first round. Um, now we've seen quarterbacks really succeed in the later rounds. We've seen it with Dak Prescott. We've seen it with uh, a team – uh, in which we're going to have their offensive coordinator join us on the show later today. Mm. Uh, Brian Schottenheimer with the Seattle Seahawks. We've seen it with Russell Wilson. We'll get his take on Russell Wilson. He'll join us uh, a bit how, later as well. How about them potentially taking a tour of Tonga Just because you got Russell Wilson there. Can you the continue to afford him? You know, eventually. I don't know. There's, there's, uh, those, those are interesting you know, conversations like, to so, have. So then the more that you talk, the more that you're, you're like, yeah, Anybody I could. I don't know if two is going to get out the first round just because right. the talent and depending on the feelings that people had prior to the injury, um, that could impact it. Like everyone understands yep. that he's a first round talent. Yeah. Uh, now it's just trying to figure out, okay, like where do we value it at based on his injury history? So we haven't seen something like this with a top flight quarterback in I I mean I can't I struggled to think of one I mean the best Sam Bradford is the only example I have where Sam Bradford didn't play his final season because of the shoulder injury didn't he have shoulder injury or collarbone injury uh something prevented him from playing his last year and he still was able to go number one overall maybe he played a, a, a game or two like that final season at Oklahoma but he is the last one that I can remember of record as a quarterback that had a very yeah. very scattered um playing career due to injuries and then he was still able to kind of navigate through that situation to be the number one overall pick he went ahead of jason smith uh that's right the tackle uh the tackle from baylor didn't play a long time in the league so um gosh i can't think of another top i mean the 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 obvious comparison here is jalen smith for sure the linebacker smith, linebacker from notre dame notre dame who, who was suffered a horrific injury yeah. in the fiesta bowl against ohio state um you're talking about a guy that was 
a consensus top five pick, drops out of the first round, is picked by Dallas in the second round, takes a while to come back. Then when he plays, um, he has the brace to, to offset the drop foot. Yeah. Then he finally plays in there. He's performing at a level that uh, is Pro Bowl caliber. But, yeah, he is the only one. But it cost him a lot of money on the the, the beginning. But it's made up for it now a little bit. Got the is, big contract. Got the yeah. big contract. The Dallas Cowboys were able to get a first-round value, a top-ten value at the top of the second round. Um, it worked for them. Right. Uh, so that's that's also something to consider here. You know, if that's an area, because that was a year where we saw Miles Jack go in the second round, too, yeah, with, some, when the concerns of yeah. the knee injury came out. So there was a second, you know, the second round can sometimes be viewed as a real boom or bust area. I know that's kind of how yes. Bill Belichick and the Patriots have seen it. We'll take a risk in the second round on something that we view to have a potentially big reward. And then, look, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work out. But you want to get that player before they start, you know, you have less and less control over it in the third and the fourth and the fifth and the sixth round. But uh, I'm not saying that two is going to slide that far, but I, I would, I Certainly. would, I think, I think, I mean, I think that's the sweet spot. I think yeah. worst case you're talking about the second round where um, one the economics make it uh, almost a no brainer to be able to take a guy that has first round talent, regardless of the injury history, because uh, it doesn't cost you that much. The, cap implications aren't severe enough that it would dis- dissuade you from making a move on that. So so why not view that second round as a safe haven for a player who has some issues, be it injury or character or, yeah. or the like? So then, you know, as that whole situation is developing, if Tua slides down, who benefits draft-wise? Oh, man. I think the biggest beneficiary right now is Joe Burrow. Uh, two weeks ago, we, we saw these guys squared off, and uh, I think it's debatable about which guy was the best one on the field. And I say it's debatable in, in, in this regard. Uh, Joe Burrow was more productive. Uh, he definitely shined on that big stage against Alabama's defense. We saw him make these pro throws. We saw the competitiveness. We saw him lead him back. We saw him seal the deal as a closer. Tua played with an injury, and he got off to a slow start. But then by the end of the game, we saw flashes yeah. of the Tua that kind of made him uh, the guy that was celebrated as potentially the number one overall pick in this draft. When you go back and you look at it, you you remove Tua. So now Joe Burrow, okay, maybe positioned as the number one. Justin Herbert, who people love the prototypical physical dimensions, the size, the arm talent, the athleticism. You still haven't seen him have a signature performance in a major game, a big game. Like, what is the game that we can put on path and say, hey, right. B-roll that game. That is going to show us everything that he is. So you're still looking for that. But from a prototypical standpoint, he checks off all the boxes. Then you have guys um, like a Jake Fromm. Mm-hmm. A Jake Fromm who is maybe – one of the best game managers that I've ever seen in terms of just playing the game the right way, the way he controls the offense, the way that he just makes the plays that are there to be made uh, with few mistakes. However, he doesn't have the big arm. He doesn't necessarily have the uh, overwhelming or imposing frame to make you think that he's a traditional uh, franchise quarterback, but he has a lot of value because he's won a lot of game and he fended off a bunch of challengers, including the guy that's behind him and Jacob Eason. So where does he fit in that? Competitor, equation. man. You know, Competitor, and, and, yeah. And then with Jacob Eason, Jacob Eason is as talented as they come. Like, he's a big-time arm talent. He can make all these throws. He is playing under Chris Peterson in UW, so you know he's getting good coaching. Hasn't always popped on tape, but the flashes are good enough right. to lead your imagine to wonder what could he be like in a pro offense with a great 
offensive mind. Eason completing about 63% of his passes, uh, 20 touchdowns to seven interceptions. Um, look, it's not the Tua numbers. It's not the Burrow numbers. It's not even the, the Jalen Hurts numbers, you know, so that that'll be a, I think that'll be a hard thing for people to come to grips with uh, when we're getting into this process uh, as well, because they're going to see the numbers from Jalen Hurts and be like, how in the world could he possibly, you know, fall out of the first round? Well, you look, you just got to kind of take, you got to put everything into a pot. Like for instance, you know, when Josh Allen came out, didn't have the numbers, right? When Carson Wentz came out, didn't have the numbers. They had the arm talent. They had the qualities that certain scouts and certain executives, you know, drooled over and rightly so for some reasons. And like Jordan Love is another one of those guys. He's sitting here at, you know, 13 touchdowns, 14 interceptions. But then you have to also take into account his coaching staff left. Mm -hmm. You know, he's dealing with a new coach in his junior season. Also makes me wonder whether he might even come back. Yeah, I mean, year. Like, it that's, hasn't been great. No, it hasn't been great for him. And how can you leave with that kind of momentum? I don't know right. what kind of momentum has been created by that 13 and 14 season. 13 yeah. touchdowns, 14 interceptions. You probably have more questions than answers. And um, the Pat Mahomes comparison probably has gone by the wayside yeah. as the turnovers have come have kind of come in, in, in bunches, but he's talented. He, he He's big, he's athletic, He he's doing his best with maybe a, a limited um, crew of playmakers around him. But, um, you know, he came in with a lot of fanfare, and a lot yeah. of people were excited about him, and he's disappointed. He's a good kid, so too. Yeah, I had a chance yeah, to meet so him. So let's, let's it, see what, yeah. what he decides in terms yeah. after he recesses after the end of the season. Yeah, he's got an opportunity, obviously, to come back just a junior uh, in terms of eligibility. So... All right, if we've if we figured out we try to figure out what's going to happen with Tua. The other question then is Jalen Hurts. I mentioned him briefly here. Um, has been in the Heisman conversation with the numbers that he's putting up at Oklahoma. Impressive comeback over Baylor. They come back to win 35, uh, 34-31 in a game that they were down big. I believe it was twenty eight to three at one point. They come all the way back uh, and get the win. Is there a Given Tua's injury, is there a spot now, a possibility here where Jalen Hurts gets drafted ahead of Tua? Whew. I mean, it's a, look, it's a possibility. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but it's something. I mean, I, I, depending I, on the prognosis, there's I, still a lot I of think, variables. I think a there. couple of different things with, with yeah. Jalen Hurts. He has been so um, dramatically different in his Oklahoma offense compared to what he right. was in Alabama. So scouts now have to determine is it him or is it the system? Right. Is he propped up by a system that is seemingly flawless for quarterbacks? Anyone could just be dropped in and have a lot of success. But this game against Baylor was actually a good game for him because we actually saw him mess it up. Yeah. He messed it up, put the ball on the ground, turned it over, all of those things. And we saw him bring his team back. And so sometimes there's more value in just watching – the player struggle and knowing he's struggling and, and scuffling against certain things and certain fronts, certain people, but then he's able to kind of calm himself down and make enough plays to not only get his team back in the game, yeah. but to eventually win the game. I think he actually comes away with positive marks after this I agree. as opposed to the negative. I agree. And I think in, in terms of football character, toughness, intelligence, I mean, like there won't be anybody who rates better than Jalen Hurts. Uh, from what we saw him do at Alabama and then now um, at Oklahoma. So that'll be in, that is it, it will be interesting. I talked to fun. Yeah, I, I talked to a high ranking executive okay. for a team in the NFC and I asked him about Jalen Hurts and I made the comparison, the Jalen Hurts, Dak Prescott deal. Like 
do you see these guys assembling? He was like, man, that's a really good comparison. And it's not only just in terms of how they play, but physically how they're yeah, built. Yeah, I mean, they are built when very you look, When you look at Dak Prescott, thick lower body, you can tell he can kind of withstand punishment, very strong um, build. When I look at Jalen Hurts, same thing, strong build. And having had an opportunity to get around him in the summer and watch him through throw, you knew he was a much better passer than maybe he was getting credit for. So now you see him in Lincoln Raleigh's offense, the same offense that produced the last two number one overall picks in Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray. You're looking at the numbers. You begin to kind of contrast and compare. And maybe if you squint hard enough, maybe Jalen Hurts does creep into the first round is in that conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right, so look, the if you haven't figured it out already, the quarterbacks in this year's draft... Oh, so it, much fun. It, it, they're going to be fascinating. I mean, even more so than the year we had the five come out. Um, we had Lamar uh, from Baker to Lamar, you know, and there was such... Um, you know, wide range of views on who should be the first one overall and where Sam Darnold should go and Josh Rosen. And, uh, and now, you know, seeing some of that transpire a little bit, um, it, it just makes me think about this year's class and, and how much fun we're going to have talking about where these guys are going to end up and where they should go. Um, so, uh, again, um, you know, this is going to be pretty cool to watch, uh, but uh, we'll uh, we'll do it with you on Path to the Draft. We'll be with you every step of the way from the uh, East-West Shrine game to the Senior Bowl to Path to the Combine to to the draft in Vegas this year. Going to be a good one. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm excited about uh, what it is to come because we have yeah. good topics, and that makes it a lot of fun. So the Combine, Path to the Draft, everything should be exciting to talk about. Oh, now it's our pleasure here on the Move the Sticks podcast to be joined by the architect, one of the best offenses in football right now, the 8-2 and two Seattle Seahawks and offensive coordinator Brian Schottenheimer in his second year uh, leading that offense. So glad to have you with us here, Shotty. What's going on, man? Hey, I'm doing great, guys. Uh, fired up to get a few minutes to spend some time with you guys. Uh, enjoyed the bye, but uh, now I'm ready to get uh, get back uh, to competing on Sundays. Oh, heck yeah, man. And yeah, look, I, I mentioned you guys have one of the best offenses in football right now. You've got maybe the leader uh, in the MVP race in Russell Wilson uh, off to one of his best uh, starts of his career this season. Uh, you know, and, and you've talked to me before and he said it. He, want, he wants to be the greatest ever, right? And I think for a guy who wants to do that and wants to be in that conversation, you obviously have to have an exceptional routine, right? Day to day, week to week, we get that. But is there something that you've observed from him in his preparation or the way he carries his himself that, that allows you to say, yeah, he's going to have that opportunity? Oh, I, I think, you know, you hit the nail on the head. It, it, with me, with Russ, it comes down to his work ethic. I mean, it's, it's, it's top notch. Uh, and it's not just that he works hard. I mean, everybody in this business has to, has to work at it, right? Uh, they got to, they got to take care of their bodies. They got to do the film study. They got to work on their preparation. They got to do all that stuff. Uh, but he does it at an unbelievably consistent level like he just he doesn't he doesn't change I mean he is so he believes so strongly in his routine that uh, I mean he is just a tireless worker um, you know and that's that's great for us as a staff because it challenges us it challenges us to kind of make sure we're, we're you know looking back at other games or times that they've played him again and um, he, he's just a phenomenal phenomenal worker and um, again it doesn't surprise me that uh, that uh, he's playing the way he is because uh, he, like you said he wants to be the best that's ever done it uh, and he 
works that way tirelessly. And shoot, he, he does he, he puts together his own uh, scouting report each week, which is which is phenomenal. I mean, you know, we obviously do one sure. uh, as as an offensive staff, but he puts one together um, by himself, and it's phenomenal. I mean, he just <laughs> he he hits on everything. He hits on the backup defensive tackles. He hits on the <laughs> backup safeties. I mean, it is it's phenomenal. And uh, hands great. it out to the guys and just does a, a great job with it. He's what you want from from that leadership role and the guy that kind of uh, when they see him working like that, then there's no excuses. I mean, they have to they have to bring their A game in terms of their prep and the way that they want to work and practice. You know, Brian, I, I, I'm so excited to talk to you because I think you have one of the unique challenges in football. You have a franchise quarterback who's shown that he can do it as a passer, yet your team is committed to running the ball. <laughs> and you run it better than anybody in football in terms of the number of carries. How do you balance that, hey, we are a run-first team even though we have a franchise quarterback in place? Well, I think it goes back to it's really Bucky. More than anything, it's just the mindset, right? You know, we want to be a physical football team, and everything comes off of our running game. Uh, when people have to worry about our ability to run the football behind Dwayne Brown and and Mike Yapati and and hand it to Chris Carson and those guys, uh, what it opens up for us with the play pass stuff. I mean, as you understand, is is very very difficult to stop. Um, but again, at the same time, we we want to be able to win games different ways. So you know, when when you know we got to go into overtime two weeks ago against uh, Tampa Bay. You know, we go into overtime, we kind of extended the game and we forced, you know, uh, took the lead Then they came back. We stayed in that kind of up-tempo, um, no-huddle type mindset because we, you know, we believed in Russ and that that was working at the time. So, again, I think it's important for us that we have the ability to beat people both ways. Uh, and we know Russ is going to be there when we need him, but it really does feed off of itself. And, um, you know, when we're running the football well, the play passes are there. And even when, quite honestly, even if we're struggling uh, in one phase or the other, we really believe that we'll, we'll figure out the adjustments and, and make the corrections to allow us to, to hurt people. So um, it, it's really, it's quite easy, to be honest with you, when you have a philosophy that, that's built that way, uh, as opposed to saying, hey, we're going to go and drop back 50 times and throw it. Uh, we're not going to do that. We're going to have variety. We're going to show people different things. And um, he's so good at all the different things, uh, which, is, which is what makes my job easy. And along those same lines, we talk a lot about roster construction here on this podcast a little bit, obviously with the uh, front office uh, experience of Bucky and DJ. But when you're constructing an offense, right, when you're constructing, even if it's game plan week to week or before the season, as you're trying to figure out what you guys really want to do, how much do you how do you kind of balance and put into account the personnel and the skill sets that your personnel has with your organizational philosophy and then you know what you have and what you want to do as a play caller how do you kind of fit all that together well, again, I've been fortunate. I've been around a bunch of different organizations. and If there's a better one that works together than uh, the Seattle Seahawks, I've not been around it. I mean, wow. Pete and, and John Schneider and their ability to work together and uh, the philosophy of what we're trying to bring in here. Uh, a cool example, right, that, that that you see is, you know, we obviously want to be a physical team. We want to yeah. be a team that can run the football and use our play pass. And so you look at the way our offensive line's built, right? I mean, we are a very, very physical group. you got your potty at guard. you got Fluker at guard. You got Dwayne Brown. You got Jermaine Effetti, 320 pound right tackle. Uh, then, of course, we've got George Fant that we can throw in there. So, um, they do a masterful job of 
uh, of sharing information, uh, talking. Uh, from the day I got here, you know, they wanted my input of how I kind of uh, saw this thing being built and uh, along with the rest of the offensive staff. And it's just, it's so easy to communicate with these guys. Um, that, 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 you know, not that we, we don't agree on everything, but, you know, once a decision's made, we all move forward and say, hey, that's the best decision for the organization. And so um, they, they make it so easy here. And again, I'm just, I'm thrilled to be a part of such a uh, awesome organization that really, again, communicates at every level. I'm talking about from GM to head coach, head coach to, to coordinator, to, to assistants, to coaches, to players. I mean, it, it, it is a fabulous, fabulous culture uh, that's been built here. You know, uh, Brian, I can't let you go without talking about your dad, Marty Schottenheimer, having an opportunity to play for him in Kansas City. I just want to know what that influence has been in terms of watching your dad, who won 200 games in the National Football League. What is the biggest takeaway that you've learned from having your dad have so much success in the National Football League? Well, I would say uh, it's a cool question, by the way, Bucky. I, I would say two things. Uh, you, you'll probably laugh at the first one, but uh, the first one is just, you know, uh, the importance of ball security. I mean, he was obviously always talking about that. And it's really cool because Pete believes in the same philosophy here, uh, just in terms of, hey, you got to win the turnover you know, battle. you got to win the giveaway takeaway uh, thing. So that's the first thing uh, that, that he kind of ingrained into me, uh, even when I was playing as a high school quarterback. You know, hey, you know, I think my senior year I threw, I wasn't very good, by the way, but my senior <laughs> year I only threw like like 20 touchdowns but I threw like three interceptions and and that was the thing he was the most proud of was the fact that I took care of the football um, and then the other thing is the importance of fundamentals uh, as a coach in today's day and age with free agency and roster trans you know transactions and things like that you have to have coaches that can develop players fundamentals because he always said it this way if you're going up against the guy that's evenly matched so if you're lined up against the player that's as good as you are as talented as you are the guy that's ultimately going to win the battle in those 60, 65 snaps, whatever it is, is the guy that has the better foundation of fundamentals. And, and that's something that I, I kind of caught on as a, as a young coach and, and really to this day uh, believe that that separates the great coaches from the good coaches, the guys that can break down the fundamentals and the foundation of how you build a quarterback stance or how you teach a running back to pass protection. The, guy that, the, the coaches that teach that, I think, have the ability to draw the most out of their players on a consistent uh, basis. So when we were talking this past summer uh, down at camp, just drawing again on some of your influences uh, as a coach, obviously having played for Coach Spurrier down there and uh, and and being with him in, in Florida, you you told a story about how Coach used to always set up Chris Doring to block. <laughs> you remember? And then I asked you, I was like, is that why? Is that why you put Doug Baldwin back there in pass protection for a snap or two? Is that why you got Jerron Brown motioning in there to lead Chris Carson through a hole? Is that where some of those influences come from? Well, here's the difference. Uh, <laughs> Coach Spurrier didn't care if Chris Dorn was blocking a defensive end or whether he was blocking a linebacker. We try to avoid those. I can't okay. promise that it always happens. Uh, but, uh, again, I mean, it was amazing. I mean, Coach was just uh, – he just was so um, – he was so – he believed so strongly in the system that we didn't have a lot of hots and sights. It's hard to teach that, you know, in college football with the time and stuff. And uh, I sure enough remember he saw seven-man protection coming. We'd be sitting there in 10 personnel and he would have Danny check to our seven man max protection and here came Chris Doring trying to block you know I mean these these unbelievable defense Peter Bullwares and these guys <laughs> were just these unbelievable players and it was almost like how but it 
worked. It works. It worked. Now, sometimes Danny got hit, but he normally he normally completed the pass for some explosive play, and that was really a cool time for me to be down there. And I, I mean, I, I truly went down there to learn uh, from Coach Spurrier, and, and what a great uh, what a great time we had down there. We had a bunch of success, and I learned a ton of offensive football from him. Wow, that's so cool. Uh, awesome. lo- love hearing about where the influences come from, and and where you kind of uh, cut your teeth and make your mark and uh, develop what you want to be as a coach. And we love watching it right now every Sunday with the Seattle Seahawks. I appreciate yeah. that, guys. It's uh, it's been a fun fun ride so far. We got a long way to go, but uh, what a great group of uh, of guys we get a chance to work with each and every day, and that's what makes the journey the most fun. No, no doubt. We certainly enjoyed uh, our our time with you. Hopefully, we do it again sometime real soon. That sounds good. I appreciate you guys. Have a, have a great rest of your day. Okay, you too. Right. Oh man, it's 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 always so good, kind of getting a, going behind the curtain a little bit and finding out where somebody gets their influence where somebody gets the things that have molded them into the coach that we see today. And obviously you, you've taken a, a lot from, you know, the same place that, uh, that, that Brian Schottenheimer has. And that was Marty sure. Schottenheimer, which is cool. Yeah. Look, his, his dad is one of the greatest coaches in NFL history. And I don't know if he gets enough credit for what he was able to accomplish in the league. But I think when you hear Brian talk about those things, you hear him talk about ball security and fundamentals. I can't tell you how Marty would stress those things uh, each and every day on the practice field, in meetings, and it really works. And the one thing that I will say uh, when it comes to Brian, I am seeing his dad's influence in the way the Seattle Seahawks play, particularly on offense. Uh, One of the things that has always been a big part of success is winning the turnover battle, uh, winning the rushing battle. You have more rushing yards than your opponents. Typically, you win games. And so the fundamentals that he alludes to, Brian Schottenheimer has been in a unique situation, and it's one of the reasons why he will begin to get head coaching love to have a franchise quarterback but run an offense that is built for the ages, meaning they run the football, they're physical, they do things in a manner where they play complementary ball for their defense while allowing Russell Wilson to thrive. It is uncommon to find an offensive coordinator that is able to blend all those things together, but he's able to keep the winning agenda high while also making sure he takes care of the franchise quarterback unique. Yeah, it is indeed. And I've been impressed at the way they've adapted uh, as well. You go back to last year, they were giving up a bunch of sacks while they start bringing in the sixth offensive line and they figure out ways to accentuate uh, and make up for their weaknesses and their deficiencies. And and it's been really fun to watch. And there are very few deficiencies with that offense uh, this year, uh, especially with the new blood and DK Metcalf. And um, they got some fun stuff going on there in Seattle. Looking forward to watching that over this final stretch of the season. And that's going to do it for us on this edition of the Move the Sticks podcast. Be sure to go uh, download, subscribe, and then, of course, leave a comment, a question in the comment section, and we will uh, answer some of the best ones on Thursday's edition when DJ uh, is back in the house. Buck, anything else before we get out of here? No, it was great, man. You did Good a great go. job. PBU. Hey, I noticed PBU, you we're back, you didn't, baby. You didn't, say, you didn't say PBU before uh, this, no. but I think maybe you're you're feeling yourself because yeah. you're Indiana Hoosiers football I squad. I am, baby. Come on. thriving. We're going. Uh, we're going to go nine and three after we beat Michigan this week and Purdue to finish up the season, wow. just like that. You heard it here first. All right, uh, fun hanging out with you guys today. We'll be back with you later this week. That's it for in this edition of the Move the Sticks podcast. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, 
your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.